Two Minute Advantage, the podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know the NHL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There are tickets across all major leagues and teams, not just the NHL. And the app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. everybody, Scott Burnside, as per usual, Two Man Advantage, the podcast, the second of the two men, of course, Pierre Lebrun, in lovely Toronto, just back from morning hockey practice. I, I love that I love that you start our podcast day with an actual practice, uh, your son's practice at the crack of dawn. So how are you feeling? You feeling, are you, are you into it? You ready to roll? I am, I am jacked up. I got my second cup of Java going and... Uh... Got my Muskoka coffee. That's my favorite coffee these days, Muskoka coffee. You know what? We should get them to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm all for that. And in fact, as you well know, I've had Muskoka coffee at your cottage. And I am I, and I don't want to – like you're a pretty big guy in Canada. But I, I don't know if people will be shocked. You're not a Tim's guy though. I'm, you know, I don't know. I like, the odd, I, I like the odd Tim's, but I uh, just like something a little stronger is all. Yeah. But I do, I do like my Tim's. My kids are there all the time. Yeah, well, I like the dark roast myself. I like the Tim's dark roast. And whenever we make a visit to Canada or specifically Ontario, which is a province in a, in Canada, as you well oh know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I you know are you brutal. When I, see that. <laughs> I like to pick up some Tim's. So, all right. Let's, I, so much stuff to talk about this week, as, as it seems like there always is, as we approach, uh, Towards the end of, I guess a week from now will be Halloween time, and so we're getting towards the end of October, and teams are, you know, the water is starting to to find its own level. Um, I do want to start, though. I just love, you just literally posted it, um, but you got a chance to sit down with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, and we've talked in the past about Patrick Marlowe going back to San Jose, which is, of course, where he wanted to go. I just want you to describe what it was like to listen to those two guys Sort of, you had them sort of interview each other. Um, what was it like? Was it different than you thought it was going to be? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I would interject here and there to sort of change the subject, but it was really sort of sitting at a table with them uh, at their hotel and and uh, listening to these like an old married couple really <laughs> talk about all their years together. And, 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 you know, I've interviewed Marlo and Thornton a million times individually, of course, like a lot of other media covering the NHL, but, but I dawned on me to do it, to do them at the same time and to see what would, what, what that would spark. And it just, uh, a lot of memories came flowing out and, and, and also just so clear the genuine bond and admiration that these two guys have for each other. Um, you know, there's a, there's a real touching moment at the very end of the interview where Patrick Marlowe wanted to make sure he got something off his chest. And he talks about the impact and influence that, uh, that Joe Thornton has had on his career. 
And I think it caught Joe off guard a bit, but it just sort of came pouring out from from Patrick Marlowe, who said that he had he became such a better player and better professional and better uh, leader after Joe Thornton was traded to San Jose uh, back in 2005. And it's just so it's just amazing that they're back together again. Marlowe with a couple of assists in the in the overtime loss in Buffalo on uh, on Tuesday night and. Um, it's uh, it, you know they're both forty years old. They're the last two guys left in the from the '97 draft after Roberto Luongo retired. Uh, they went one two, of course, and uh, and I'll give you one little tease. There's a little story that uh, Patrick Marlowe revealed about uh, when Thornton and Marlowe were together at the World Under 18s for Canada in, in British Columbia back in '97. Uh, that may involve a couple of wrecked kayaks from the off day. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Speaking of teases, I should have, you mentioned Buffalo, and I should have mentioned right off the top that later in this program, we're mm-hmm. going to uh, speak with Carter Hutton of the Buffalo Sabers, uh, the shocking, surprising Buffalo Sabers. But uh, I, I'm. I, I love the piece, uh, and I love the format, and I and it really does you know the feeling. Uh, of respect and and affection for those two guys that they feel for each other really comes across. I want to ask you though, you know, I was I'm looking at it now. Joe Thornton, 1575 regular season games, no brainer Hall of Famer. Oh my gosh! But I wonder, and he would never say because it's not really his way. But he, you mentioned he's 40. I mean, this you have to imagine that this is probably it for Joe Thornton. And I wonder if you put him in the same kind of category. Back in the day when Ray Bork had played, and now I'm sort of off the top of my head, but it was like 19 seasons or whatever it was in Boston, hadn't won a cup, ultimately did win the Stanley Cup, of course, in Colorado. Do you think that Joe Thornton is in that same kind of stratosphere where, you know, when you look around the NHL and you say, this, he does, he deserves it. And he got, got pretty darn close. The, the Sharks ran out of runway in the Western Conference Final mm-hmm. last year, so beat up, right? And keep players Pavelski and Hurdle, a bunch of guys, Eric Carlson couldn't go. Where, what's it like? Let's assume this is the the, the swan song for Joe Thornton. Um, do you, what kind of emotion do you think there will be or this notion of the narrative of, you know, could, could Joe Thornton go out on top with the Stanley Cup? Uh, it'd be tremendous. I mean, I, I think, you know, you saw the outpouring, obviously, for Ray Bork back in the day, uh, but even for Alex Ovechkin because of all his playoff heartache, I, I think it would be that plus 10 other levels for, for Jumbo Joe Thornton. And, you know, he's been to four conference finals during his time in San Jose, obviously the cup final when they lost to Pittsburgh. So he's taken a lot of runs. And, and I mentioned to Marlowe and Thornton that, that isn't it interesting that, you know, the Caps finally won two years ago. And then last year, the Blues, another team that had always been, you know, knocking at the door, finally figured it out. I said, don't you think things come in threes? And, and you know, I think they both kind of smiled. But, you know, I asked Thornton about that and about his future. And, and I think he's being really honest when he says this. He says he's week to week. He says all he can do line. is look at this week and he can't plan past that. And, you know, he was laughing when he said that. But I think one of the things that happened with Joe Thornton is that when he had the knee injuries uh, over the last few years, it changed his outlook on, on you know, on, on how he approaches playing because he had, you know, he'd been an incredibly durable guy forever, right? And I think it made him realize that you know, he wasn't going to play forever. And I really do think as much as we were laughing when he was saying he's week to week, 
I think it's actually seriously his approach. And so to start asking him if this is it or what might happen next spring, I mean, he, he really can't get into that. He won't allow himself. Um, so, it, I mean, listen, there, there could hardly be a better story. Obviously, not just him, but Patrick Marlowe, who has played all these years and, you know, has come close with the Sharks, went to Toronto because they were on the rise and, and you know, the Leafs didn't get out of the first round while he was there. It'd be pretty amazing for those two guys to to raise that cup together. But, uh, you know, uh, they're going to have to, you know, that team's going to have to reach the next level. I thought Eric Carlson, by the way, was played his best game of the season in Buffalo on Tuesday night. I was watching that game pretty intently. And he needed to because it's been a slow start for him and a few other Sharks players. But it, it, you know this team, right, Scotty? It's like people are going to worry about them in the first half and then they're just going to find that gear and scrape their way in, I think. And they're not a team you probably want to play the first round. Yeah, well, and I think they're a team because of their veteran presence. I I I, I consider them, you know, sort of like the Washington Capitals, uh, the Boston Bruins. Uh, you know, teams that just know what to do when it matters to get to the playoffs. Now, you know, I know you you know preseason pick. Um, I hope you didn't share that with with. Marlowe and Thornton that you'd actually pick them to win a cup. With, no, put the they probably hate me for that. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. But uh, no, I'm with you. I think they're a team that I'd be shocked if they don't settle into the uh, somewhere in the top three in the Pacific. But that's a good segue because it, it allows us to you know maybe take a, a look at some of the the quiet surprises. Yeah, you know Buffalo's not a quiet surprise. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to talk to <laughs> Carter Hutton later. No quiet there. They're eight one and one. That, that's that, that's not quiet. And and we talked last week, of course, with Dave Tippett on the the podcast. Oilers now been shut out twice in a row since you know as mm-hmm. we're taping this. So uh, but still atop the uh, the Pacific Division. Um, but I, I, I got to tell you that, and I'll let you think, uh, ruminate on this, but the team that I am so curious to watch and have, they're one four straight now. And you know, I'm not, Oh, you're going to say this. Arizona. You're going to say Arizona. I'm going to go, I'm going to say Arizona. I was going to say, I'm not going to say that they're in a wild card spot, even though they are, but it's I, like, okay, let's not, let's not look at this, you know, the standings with any real sort of intent. But, you know, this is a team that last year had, like I don't know what their man games lost to injury was, but it was astronomical. Uh, I don't know how Rick Tocca got a lineup on the ice every single night with with the guys that were hurt for the entire season. Um, and 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 I don't think people understood, you know, how the system that they were playing and how hard they were to play against and their goaltending. Darcy Kumper and Auntie Ronto, when he came back from injury, those two guys were unbelievable. And they made a, a spirited run to the playoffs and, and of course, fell short. But um, picking up Phil Kessel in the offseason, um, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm, I just think that they might be the team. And, you know, if, if the Central is a little bit off and all of a sudden you're sending four from each of the Pacific and the Central, maybe this is the year, first time since 2012, if they, if they get in. That, that that the Coyotes do make their their way into the playoffs, and what a great what a great story it would be with new ownership there and renewed optimism that the team can you know really finally make a go of it in the desert. But uh, what do you, what do you make of them? Why, you know, as I say, they won four in a row. They give up absolutely nothing. They, they're a plus nine goal differential, giving up fifteen goals in eight games. That team's hard to play against. Yeah, number one in the league in goals against per game, and uh, Rick Tockett working his magic again. And he, you know, he deserved the Jack Adams votes that he got last year. He didn't win it, but uh, just to have that team in contention all year was ridiculous. You mentioned all the injuries. 
you know, they make the trade for Phil Castle quite intriguing, right? Uh, I think our own Craig Morgan had the story this week. I haven't read it yet, but I, I've, uh, I've earmarked it to go back and read about Castle's influence on Clayton Keller. There's some neat things happening there. Um, I don't know if they have the depth to, you know, last year, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, literally last year, they, they show the opposite of what I'm about to say, but I'm not convinced, though, that if the injuries hit, that they can pull off that same miracle. So that's the one thing I'd say for them. But, you know, Darcy Kemper's an unreal story. Boy, if Ranta can stay healthy and, and, and get back on track, that's really a good goaltending there. Um, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, listen, they're, they're a team that you don't enjoy playing against, right? And they're just, they're that sort of grinding in-your-face team that, uh, you know, and look who their coach is. <laughs> and, uh, Shocker, yes. The Pacific's pretty <laughs> wide open. I mean, yeah. it really is. Like, you know, I think we all think Vegas is going to win it, but uh, I feel like it's a division in flux, and Arizona's right in the middle of it early on here. Well, so I, I'm going to – I'm the other team that's, that has made nice early strides um, and a team that has, you know, like Arizona, has been largely forgotten and, and with good reason. But uh, what do you make of the Vancouver Canucks? Now, they're 6-3. They've won two straight – uh, JT Miller has fit in seamlessly there, really, you know, and, a, and a, a lot of consternation, I think, from Vancouver fans um, a, about the deal that brought uh, JT Miller from Tampa to Vancouver, it's mm-hmm. first round pick, and now they can they can they they can push it to uh, 2020. 21 to that draft if they choose to do so. So if they miss the playoffs and they're a lottery team this year, they could move it to 21, but there's no protection in 21. So, you know, it's it's a bold move. Um but it's been a nice start for them and they and they you know, when you talk about the coaching and the impact there, Travis Green again, I think under the radar has evolved into a really top-notch NHL coach, and he got a lot out of that team last year, which wasn't very good, frankly. Um, and the expectations are really high for them this year. What do you know? What when you think of the Canucks, what do you think of? Well, this has been a very patient uh, build by Jim Benning, who has really knows how to eye talent, and, and I love what him and his staff have done here. It's taken longer, I think, than he probably would have liked, and I think some Canucks fans, but. You know, when he got the job, if you want to go back a bit, Scotty, I, I think there were these sort of unrealistic expectations from ownership that, you know, when they when he took over from Mike Gillis that, oh, can you rebuild the team but stay competitive? <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's right. like, yeah, exactly. uh, we need the playoff dates. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that whole part was was kind of silly. But, you know, give the guy his space. And I think Jim Benning's done an outstanding job. You know, you think already about where they took Quinn Hughes and obviously Brock Besser. Um, you know, Elias Pettersson, it's just such an exciting team to watch. And that's one of the things that's funny. Like, you can't watch every game at once, right, every night. And so whether you want to admit it or not, you develop this this list of it teams that you want to watch a little more often than others. And the Canucks are an it team. They're, they're just, I mean, that power play is, is, is so much fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Bor Horvat with the third period hat trick uh Tuesday night in Detroit, and so you get that line going behind the big line, and they're as deep on defense as they've been throughout the entire Jim Benning era. I mean, I had talked about this on Insider Trading, but there's all this sort of buzz about Troy Stetcher, who's been a top four defenseman in Vancouver for the last few years. Now he's on the third pairing. What does that mean for his future? Well, 
How about the fact that the Canucks finally have depth and it's okay to have three really good right-handed defensemen and Myers, a healthy Tanev, and, and now Stetcher. I'm sure deep down he's not thrilled with being on the, you know, his minutes are down, but this is what good teams have is they have depth and, you know, the Canucks finally have it after all these patient years of rebuilding. And they're fun. Listen, they're going to have their struggles, but the, they have more balance than they've had in the whole Jim Binning era, in my opinion. I'm a big Travis Green fan, and I, I just think they're going to be a team, whether they make it or not, that you're it's, it's going to be appointment television all year. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's, it's been a, man, it's, since 2011, it's been a tough tough road in Vancouver, right? A lot of ups and downs, a lot of change, and a lot of, like, quarter step forward, two or three back. So um, that market deserves to to have a team that, that, you know, that they can get behind and, and, and feel really good about. So I, I think it's, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. And we should note, we, we've got our own Vancouver podcast group, the Nuxcast with Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance. Thomas Drance, who just came over from the dark side, he was in the communications department in Florida for a few years, now covering the Canucks for us in Vancouver. So you should give that a listen to. Um, I'm going to switch and I'm going to ask you a question about the NHL's leading point getter. You probably looked and you, you you cover hockey for a living, so you know this, but is it still a bit jarring to look at the top of the NHL points list and see John Carlson, defenseman John Carlson of the Washington Capitals at the very top of the leaderboard? It is. I mean, it, it, you know, We've been trained over the last several years that if a defenseman was ever going to challenge it, a la Bobby Orr, it would probably be Eric Carlson, right? And uh, to see John Carlson, a different Carlson up there is... is That's the C Carlson, not the yeah, K Carlson. Yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal story. And it's jarring because I wish I had him on our uh, on my fantasy team. Although I should note as we tape this that <laughs> oh I am in first place of the world famous Media Hacks Fantasy Hockey League. Um, I, I have to point that out because it's not going to last. So I'm <laughs> well, just going to enjoy my, my two seconds. No, because I think you're right behind me. Are you not? I am indeed, but I'd, I would never bring it up in the podcast. So there you go. Because oh, <laughs> that's like taking the money in the middle of a bet, right? I know. Well, it's like talking about a shutout in the middle of the third period. I would never do that. So, but it, it, it I and I, I'm with you, right? It, it, I, it's hard. I mean, listen. I don't think John Carlson's going to win the Art Ross Trophy, but it is breaking news. He's yeah, yeah exactly. I'm going out on a limb here, um, but it, it is. He, he's such an interesting guy, you know. Got the big contract, which I it was before the start of last year. My memory serves, and he and I. I remember he and I talked about it. I was in Vegas last year, and uh, we talked about the process. And he's a very honest guy, and he, I think he found it. You know, the prospect of facing potential free agency and the back and forth, and they they finally got a deal done. But it, you know, it, it it did wear on him, I think, a little bit, and and then the expectations that come after it, and you know, with the 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 caps coming off the the cup win and and the expectations for John Carlson, all those kinds of things. Um, but it just seems like he has just matured so nicely into. Uh, a, a hugely important part of that team. We're you know we're chatting here. There's seven two and two, and I think you know it's been fashionable to say well the Caps maybe the windows closed on them gets bounced in the first round in in seven games in overtime by upstart Carolina. So maybe you know maybe 
you know, maybe the window is closing or whatever. But uh, John Carlson, I think, is a guy who's going to, um, and deservedly so, get a lot of Norris Trophy discussion, not just for the points, because he logs a ton of minutes. He plays against um, top opponents. Um, I just think he's matured into the kind of defenseman that maybe for a stretch of years that he it's going to be he's going to be in that argument who is the best defenseman in the NHL agree disagree yeah no and uh you know I think people have questioned his defensive play at times and I don't know that that's about uh, that that's valid anymore um it, it is interesting I'm going back on my notes and, and and thinking about how it all played out it was right after they won the cup that he was UFA <laughs> and uh he ended up signing on June 25th 2018 right after they won the cup which was a day or two as i remember because i was tracking this whole thing a day or two into the ufa speaking period where other teams had the ability to reach out at that point but he was obviously very much focused on on staying in washington and they and they got this done and if you remember the caps got it done by making a few moves including moving brooks orpic's contract to colorado briefly the the abs bought him out and then the caps brought orpic back for another year but you know, Brian McClellan had to do some juggling, but here's what I would say about his deal. So he signed an eight year, eight year, $64 million deal, eight times eight uh, on the average, although it's front loaded. This is a contract I think that will come up here in some important negotiations, I bet, because, you know, here's a guy making uh, his AV is 8 million on a long-term deal and he's leading all defensemen in scoring to start the year. Well, of course we've got two notable Captains who are UFA at the end of the year in Roman Yossi and Alex Petrangelo. Um, and it, it, it would be interesting to me to see where those contracts end up uh, if they do resign with their respective teams. Certainly on the Nashville end of things, Scotty, there's been a ton of back and forth throughout the offseason between Nashville and, and Yossi's camp. I think they hit a bit of a wall in late August, early September because they just disagreed on what the numbers should be at the end of the day. Um, as I reported on Insider Trading uh, uh, Tuesday, it, it is good to hear that David Poyle met with Judd Moldover, the agent for Roman Yossi, uh, about 10 days ago in L.A. Uh, you know, so the dialogue has remained open. But the bottom line is, as I understand it, Scotty, and, and neither side is confirming this, but this is what I'm hearing, is that, you know, I think Roman Yossi wants a number that starts with a nine. And, and, you know, which would make him the, the third highest paid defenseman in the league, I think, after Dowdy and Carlson. And why not? Roman Yossi's a pretty spectacular player. Now, again, let's see where Petrangelo ends up. You know, I interviewed Doug Armstrong a couple of weeks ago, as you know, and he didn't want to address the negotiations directly, but he gave a very interesting statement, as you recall, Scotty, about what they're, the culture and what they're trying to do in St. Louis and how they try, want to keep the, team, uh, keep the team together. Read between the lines. Between the lines, Petrangelo can make more money on July 1st than he will resigning with the Blues. But so, so what is, you know, like, so if I'm Nashville and St. Louis, I look at Oliver Ekman Larson, who makes eight, $8.25 million a year, and I look at John Carlson, who makes $8 million a year, both on maximum contracts, I'd say those are pretty amazing defensemen, and look what that number is. If I'm the agents for <laughs> Roman Yossi or Alex Petrangelo, I start with Dowdy and Carlson and say, well, you know, how much, I don't know how much less, you know, that our guys should make than, than these guys. Obviously less, but that's the magnet you want if you're the agents in that, you know, for those two players. So w when you say John Carlson to me, I think about the fact that I think the Predators and Blues 
probably love the fact that John Carlson right now leads all defensemen in scoring because they're in the midst of some pretty important negotiations with their own star D. It's a, yeah, I mean, it is fascinating to to think about those guys and and those the three that you mentioned in in terms of Roman Yossi and Alex Petrangelo and and John Carlson, how important they are to their teams, and and all three of those teams are mature. You know, they're 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 ready to go, and obviously the Caps and the Blues have won the last two Stanley Cups. Nashville goes to a final in seventeen, and then takes a couple steps back. You know, they lose to Winnipeg in the second round in eighteen, and then bounced in a really ugly, frankly, performance in the first round against Dallas last year. So it, it is interesting. You know, the challenge for the GMs for those teams, respectively, is it again that. You know, the clock is ticking because they're built to win right now. It mm-hmm. worked out for Brian McClellan in Washington and it worked out for Doug Armstrong in St. Louis. Uh, and you know that David Poy, I mean, you did the wonderful piece. Uh, he's the winningest GM of all time, but it's just, he's never had the cup. And, it, I, you know, well, and, and frankly, are- Scotty, frankly, Scotty and David Poy would never admit this. I'm not sure that he wouldn't have been retired by now had he not already won it with Nashville. Yeah. Like, I think this is about. You know, he wants to remain GM until the day he can win, you know? Sure. Uh, as I would, too, if I were in his spot. Because all he does is put together awesome teams every year, but they just haven't won, you know? It's like Doug Wilson in San Jose. Well, they don't think, what, what, they made the playoffs 14 or 15 years. It's like, all you can do is just keep knocking at the door <laughs> and, hope that, and hope that the cards fall your way. But, you know, speaking of the Sharks, I want to ask you this. You know, they made a very difficult decision last summer in parting ways with their captain, Joe Pavelski. And, and again, it was yep. very much about, you know, I think, you know, the cap and the CBA and, and the the kind of fear that teams now have with age regression. And, and the bottom line is Pavelski wanted three years, which he got in Dallas, but he was not going to get in San Jose, which was, of course, similar to when Patrick Marlowe left San Jose, right? Um, which, by the way, kind of made Doug Wilson look good if you look at, you know, Marlowe being bought out uh, by Carolina, but really Toronto enforcing that decision. So this is what I'm bringing it back to Washington. You know, they've got these very delicate decisions with Nick Backstrom and Braden Holpe at some point who are both pending UFAs. It's absolutely notable to point out what we do know, which is that neither one got extended this summer, right? Um, Or certainly my understanding is have been conversations, but... I think Brian McClellan has played this pretty good so far, which is, you know, let's see how this year plays out, right? I mean I mean I mean what if he what if the caps don't do as well as they hope and that he, you know, the caps GM thinks that it's a transition time. I I I, I don't know, but he also you have Ilya Samsonov pushing Braden Holby. Um, you know, so we always talk about roster loyalty. Well, the caps want a cup. You want to keep all your guys that help you, you know, bring that glory, but you know, Dean Lombardi has has talked about this, right? That he regrets some of the roster loyalty that he showed to in L.A. after the two cups. These are really tough decisions when you have such an emotional bond to your players that won the cup, and yet you know that you got to make a calculated decision. And uh, you know that was a tough call for San Jose and Joe Pavelski, absolutely beloved captain of the Sharks, but. You know, we'll find out in three years whether Pavelski lives up to that deal in Dallas. He may very well, but, you know, if he doesn't, then we'll look back and say Doug Wilson made the right call. You know what the best part about all this is that you started by saying you were going to ask me a question, and then, a la 
Scott Burnside, you didn't. You just well. Uh, but my point is, yeah. but like, what would you do if you're Brian McClellan? I thought that was oh, okay. kind of obvious. Okay. Do I have to spell oh. it out? Like, oh no, I just thought you were going to actually ask a question. So, um, no, I, I think I think you're absolutely right, and and I think there is, you know, I I think GMs really they completely understand, and I think they probably have learned a lot from watching what happened in L.A. and Dean Lombardi there. You know, when you whether you've won the cup or whether you've had a team that has gone to a final or whatever, that that you really do have to step away, and you do have to make that you have to make that hard call on. I and I I know it goes back to Mike Richards in in Los Angeles, and I remember having a conversation with Dean mm-hmm. Lombardi during a conference final, and now I can't remember whether it was between in thirteen or when they went to a conference final against Chicago, or, or in fourteen when they were preparing. Uh, to win a second cup in three years, but he, his point was, I I know we I know we wouldn't have won the cup in twelve without Mike Richards, and I am afraid I was afraid that if I cut ties with him, that I would regret not having him in two thousand fourteen. And of course they 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 won a cup, and so you don't know. But you that's where that's where guys like Doug Armstrong and Alex Petrangelo and David Poyle they're going to have to make some. You know, you you just you have to make the hard choice, and you have to listen to your heart, I suppose, and and you hope that you're right. And I I know just to go back to David Poyle and your piece on when when they signed Ryan Ellis, right? I mean, it was they would not have gone if if I remember your piece correctly. Um, it was they were going to sign Ryan Ryan Ellis to that deal, or they were likely going to move him. Because There's no that question was, in my mind. I mean, David yeah. Poyle never came out and said that, but I think it was strongly hinted and during those negotiations that they weren't going to let Ryan Ellis play out his year just walk out the door which stems back as you recall Scotty to the painful uh, drama that played out when Ryan Suter uh, walked out the door right um, yeah. back Dan in 2013 before that. Yeah. yeah and and I, I deep down when the Ryan Suter thing happened in particular I think David Poyle made a promise to himself that he would do all he could the rest of his career to make sure he never lost a core player for nothing, especially when they were uh, a team that could contend. And that's why this Yossi thing is, is fascinating because I think both sides, if you would have asked both sides back in June, Scotty, I bet you they would have said on or off the record that Roman Yossi is signed by the start of training camp. Uh, it, it hasn't happened. And... You know, again, I think it's because the Predators are somewhere in the eights under nine million, and I think his camp wants either nine or nine point something million. Um, pretty simple. But here's the thing: like, I don't know that the Predators have a lot of wiggle room here. Like, you can't trade Roman Yossi when you're trying to win the cup. So I, I don't think that will ever enter the the thought process here. So you have to sign him. So I really do think the leverage is with the player here um, because you're going for it. I mean, and how could you possibly – like what is the other option other than signing him right now when you're the Nashville Predators? Well, the the option is to go against what you just pointed out, which is to roll the dice and hope you can – you know, hope hope he wants to be a Predator forever and a la Steven Stamkos – uh, you know, at the end of when the dust clears it at the end of the season, that he that he stays in Nashville. Right, and, that there's and still time he, to sign after the season, right? 
Right. right. But, you know, I mean, to, it goes back to your point, though. That's not really how they do things. And just before we wrap this, I'm curious whether you think there will be a shift in the attitudes. Not, you know, because there are lots of teams that, that have designs on the Stanley Cup and they have players, you know, whether it's a Nicholas Backstrom, uh, Braden Holpe, uh, you know, Taylor Hall, all of them. You know, the Devils are probably at that same level, but Roman Yossi is a great example. When you watch what happened with Columbus last year and Jarmo Kekalainen, who with, uh, with whom you spoke, and I love that Q and A with him, right? I mean, and they're. I think they have been. It's been fun to watch them. You know, at start this season because a lot of people imagined that they were just going to be bottom feeders given the departures of, of key personnel. But when you watch what Jarmo Kekalainen did last year in keeping Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, bringing in Matt Duchesne, Ryan Zingle, um, and and then upsetting Tampa in the first round, then losing in six, game, six games to Boston in the second round. Do you think that that changes how GMs will maybe approach these kinds of dynamics as we head toward the trade deadline? Do you just see, you know, Jarmo was all in. And boy, again, I don't know. Was it worth it to win one round and then lose in the second? I don't. I know. I don't know that I know the answer to that. But I wonder if other GMs will look at it and go, you know what? I'm pushing my chips in too, right? If you're David, well, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to. I'm not going to worry about what happens to Roman Yossi in late June or July. I'm in. I love. I, 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 I love what uh, the Jackets did. Yarmo Kekalainen last year, and I promised myself after that trade deadline in that very moment that I wouldn't change my tune regardless of how their season ended. Remember, they weren't even sure to make the playoffs when they did all <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly, like game seventy nine so, or eighty. <laughs> yeah, so they get in, and and listen, winning one round you wouldn't think is worth getting nothing for Bobrovsky and Panarin, but not all playoff wins are created equal. <laughs> Be- yes. Beating the sixty two at Tampa Bay Lightning is something that we're going to talk about 15 years from now, right? So I, I, I do think it's it, it, it was worth it. But, you know, when I asked Yarmo about it this week, he still is, you know, it, it bugs him that they didn't beat Boston because he thought they had a chance. And that was a heck of a series. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you can't just, you know, one of the things that Keiko Lennon said is, you can't just every time just flip those pending UFAs for picks because then it becomes like, well, that's all we're doing. It's like the yeah. a continual rebuild or a continual. At some point, you got to go for it, and he went for it, and they didn't win the cup. But uh, I have no problem with him going for it, and I do think more and more GMs are becoming less paranoid about the idea of losing UFAs. That, like football, where it's more common, you lose a guy, well, then you got cap space, go out and and, and replace him, right? Uh, especially yeah. if you believe in your abilities to recruit, your abilities to draft, your abilities to replace from within. That those are the I think the teams that that are headed that way. All right, everybody, that's the first part of Two Man Advantage, the podcast for this week. But if you want to hear what I can tell you is an outstanding conversation with Carter Hutton of the Buffalo Sabers, then all you need to do is subscribe to the Athletic, and it will be yours for the taking. Mm-hmm.